Good morning, Rimrock Church. Wonderful to be here with you all this morning. I hope you're enjoying as the weather is warming up. And I hope you've gotten a chance to say hi to your friends and visit with some new people. If you're new here, welcome. Um, glad that you've joined us this morning. We're going to start out with some worship to our King.
before we do this next one, I just wanted to encourage you guys as you come and as you worship today, that we don't worship a God because of how we feel or because of our circumstances. We worship God because of who he is. And who he is is unlike anyone or anything we'll ever come across. So if you're unsure of that, I just encourage you to listen to these words of our holy God, who does more, is more, and will just continue to do more than we could ever ask or imagine.
With the world. These things will make sense to some, but not to others. I'm here to start a revolution. is for women, for the vulnerable. Blasphemy is not harmless. Well, the Pharisees were pretty upset. Sometimes you gotta stir up the water. They're martyrs with a persecution complex. I wanna kill him. Do you want to be healed? If he was supposed to be healed, God would have done it himself! That's an interesting point. Your fame is spreading the good kind. You have certainly livened things up around here. Word travels fast. Fellow cousin, my heart is yours. My life is yours. John the Baptizer was taken into custody. Jesus of Nazareth, we finally meet! David, Goliath, maybe there is hope for the little. What we're doing here will last for generations. I want my people to participate in the healing of the world. I do not feel very much worthy. Who's worthy of anything? You. The one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. It's not now. You win. I'm here to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. I make a way for people to access that kingdom. In this world, bones will still break. Hearts will still break. But in the end, the light will overcome darkness. Good morning. It's a different view from up here. <laughs> My name is Mickey Harlow, and I will be leading the women's Bible study this summer, The Chosen, season two. Um, you just saw the clip of it. It's very exciting, um, thrilling, um, uh, enticing. Uh, the Chosen will be, uh, the study will be at Rimrock downtown this summer. Just a couple of things I'd like to mention about the study. This study is open to all women in the community. I encourage you to come and invite a friend or friends. Maybe there's someone in your life that's been asking questions about your faith. Maybe there's a skeptic in your life. Maybe a woman who wouldn't even think of entering a church. Invite them to come and see who Jesus is. I have heard this series has sparked conversations about Jesus and has impacted people to want to learn more about Jesus and his word. Secondly, I have heard women say, thanks for having a summer study because it keeps me accountable. Sometimes when classes and the school year routine has recessed, it can be difficult to stay on track with Bible study. This study will give you a weekly lesson based on eight Sermon on the Mount blessed are statements. One blessed are statement 
um, will correlate with one chosen episode, and there'll be eight this summer. You can see the information in the bulletin. Uh, registration is as easy as emailing me. There's plenty of room. There's lots of books. There's a morning and an evening class to accommodate schedules. I hope you'll be able to join us this summer. Thank you. And now in honoring our military uh, and thinking of our military prayerfully this weekend, I invite Bill Gates to come up. Dave Gates, sorry. <laughs> Is Bill your brother? <laughs> sorry, Dave. Mr. Gates. I'm Dave Gates, uh, 1969 Vietnam veteran with the 23rd Infantry. And what I'd like to do this morning is to bring all of the fallen before you so we could honor them. Okay. Am I talking loud? I need to get the mic closer. Okay. All right. <clears throat> yeah, now I can hear it. Uh, I was kind of surprised. I looked up the history of Memorial Day. There wasn't a president who set this up early. Uh, started in 1868 by a bunch of grieving mothers, grandmothers. You need to understand that <clears throat> my lungs are recovering, so I get a little short of breath. I had a really bad case of COVID back in October, so my lungs are not right. <clears throat> but anyway, 1868 is when it started by a bunch of grieving mothers and grandmothers and daughters and widows' wives that would go out one day a year to Rochester, Minnesota, Rochester, New York, and go out and put flowers on the graves. And that's how it started, by a bunch of mothers. <laughs> kind of breaks me up. But uh, what we find is that out of the population, 1% of our young men and women serve to protect the 99% of the people who enjoy the freedoms of the 1%. <clears throat> Excuse my lungs. But uh, what I'd like to do, if we would, please bow our heads and go to prayer, please. Hello, Father. I know what your heart is on these veterans, and I know your heart's broken for the veterans. Father, also for the families, the Gold Star families, the mothers. Let's also not forget the veterans who lost their buddies right beside them in combat, because they're grieving too. Father, we ask that you would touch the hearts of all of the people who have been damaged by losing brothers, sisters, Husbands, fathers, also, Father, for all the ones who have stood in the gap and gave the ultimate price of dying so that we could enjoy the freedoms in this country, Father. I just thank you for all of that, Father, and for all of those soldiers who would, in all foreign wars and civil war, gave their lives for us so that we could enjoy the freedoms, like I said, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is family worship day, as you may have noticed, a few extra kiddos in the, in the group today. And so we want to invite any of the elementary, uh, K through fifth grade, I believe. Uh, we're going to do a song that you guys are familiar with, Jesus Strong and Kind. So I don't know if there are any elementary kids, have them, if you guys want to come up and stand on these stairs here, Mr. Dave is going to lead you guys in the, in the actions that you've been learning downstairs when you're not with us. So come on up. Don't be shy. If you guys are here, I see a few people wiggling out there. They're thinking about it. You guys. No. All right. We got a brave soul. We got two brave souls. All right. You guys can come stand. If you want, you can come stand right over here in front of Dave so that you can follow along. They, they've done this song downstairs. All right, we got another one. Thanks so much, you guys. So they do this song 
uh, in their kids' programs, and they've learned some actions. So also, it's a challenge to you, the rest of you guys, if you're brave enough, you can try and follow along and also do the actions with them as we sing this song. Um, but we're just excited to all be here together and just to see that these kids uh, have also been doing some of these songs and worshiping uh, with, uh, with Mr. Dave. So let's do this together.
this morning and just speak to us through Boomer and uh, God just may we remember that we are here for you God and so speak to us what you want to speak and, and make us willing to hear and obedient praise in your name amen Well, good morning, Rimrock. How are you today? Oh, well, tired. You sound tired. Good morning, Rimrock. Are we ready? All right. If you've got your Bibles, pull them out to Mark chapter 5. We're in the middle of a, uh, well, we're not quite to the middle yet, are we? But we're in a series uh, walking through the book of Mark. And uh, so this morning, we're going to look at the first half of uh, chapter 5 in the book of Mark. I'll be using the New International Version today, and so I'd like to read our whole text um, this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 5, let's read those first 20 verses together, if you'll follow along. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came to the tombs to meet him came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. But Jesus, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the country, in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the, the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So it's interesting, this, this uh, story that we have in Mark chapter 5 shows up in two of the other Gospels as well. And if you, you understand... Um, kind of how what we call the synoptic gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of uh, Jesus, and a lot of the stories overlap, but they tell them from different perspectives. They were written uh, for uh, for different purposes, to reach different audiences, to uh, to draw out different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. But we see this same story reflected in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8. Um, and in Matthew's uh, gospel, he records that there were two men who were demon-possessed. And so just some different uh, details that show up in both of those, in all three of those accounts, but it's the same account. Um, and so for, and we'll be looking at some of those uh, differences as we go through today. But all three of these accounts um, happened uh, following a crossing of uh, the Sea of Galilee. If you look, I've got a map for you, and you can see the area that Jesus is going to. I circled it in red, and he would have been coming from Capernaum, which is uh, closer to the top of the Sea of Galilee, and he would have crossed over. And in the crossing was uh, one of the accounts of, uh, of Jesus calming the storm. And so here Jesus now has arrived. The disciples, I'm sure, are, well, they were a little freaked out. It wasn't just by the storm, but it was also by the calming. So they had already experienced Jesus doing, uh, having authority over nature. And they pull up on the shore in this region of the Gerasenes. Mark designates it as along that eastern shore of the sea. And as we look at the different uh, manuscripts and different authors, they refer to the area by slightly different names, but this is the same kind of area. And it was on the north end of, an, of a region called the Decapolis, kind of a 10 major cities in that kind of area. And so that whole region was known as the Decapolis. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on this chapter, he says, we see in this scene three different forces at work. We see Satan, society, and the Savior. These three same forces are at work in our world trying to control the lives of people. And so we're just going to, I'm going to borrow his outline his, those three words, and I want to just look at those three forces at work through the course of our message today. And the first one is Satan. Satan is a thief whose ultimate purpose is to destroy people. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Satan, his only purpose is to destroy us. Satan's great battle 
was against God in heaven. And when he couldn't win that battle, God cast him out of heaven. And Satan knows the battle is, cannot be won against God, but he can take the things that are most precious to God, his kids. And so the battle is there, and Satan works at it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He doesn't take a break. He's intent. And we see the power of Satan to wreck a life in verses 3 through 5. It says, This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often... For he had also been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. If we look at the, the other uh, accounts of this story in Luke 8 and Matthew, uh, and Matthew 8, we read this. For a long time, this man had not worn any clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And Matthew says they were so, they, these men were so violent that no one could pass that way. The thief had stolen everything. He had stolen everything from them. He had lost his home. He had lost his family. He had lost his friends. He had been driven away from his town. He had lost his dignity. As he ran around naked, he lost his self-control as he lived among the tombs like an animal, screaming and cutting himself. He had lost his peace and his purpose in life. Never underestimate the power of Satan or his resolve to destroy a life. First Peter Chapter 5 warns us, says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. We read a story like this sometimes and we think, What? It's fantasy? It's hyperbole. I mean, because we live in a culture that doesn't recognize the influence and the power and the control that Satan has. But you go to most other countries in the world and they readily see it. They recognize it. There's a, there's a greater degree of uh, sensitivity to the spiritual realm and the evil that works. So sometimes, as Westerners will listen, we, we look at a story like this, or we hear a story like this, or we, um, we read about accounts like this, and we kind of go, eh, I'm not really sure that that's that happens anymore. Satan's at work. And he lives, he's at work in the lives of unbelievers. He's waging war against believers. Paul describes the lives of unbelievers and the work that Satan has. He says that it was Satan who works in the lives of unbelievers to make them what he calls children of disobedience. And while that story about the tomb dwellers admittedly an extreme example of what Satan can do in someone's life, at least in the way that we see it through Western eyes, we can certainly see the havoc that he wreaks every day in our own world, in our own culture, in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, from addiction and adultery and anxiety and pornography and anger and depression, none of those things were in the garden. All of those things are an outpouring 
of the work of the evil one. I found a quote by John Calvin this week that says, Though we are not tortured by the devil, yet he holds us as slaves until the Son of God delivers us from his tyranny. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wander about until he restores us to a soundness of mind. Satan's at work. I remember one time in one of the early churches that I worked at, going with the senior pastor to the home of a high school girl who had been struggling and And the family had requested that we, came over, that we would come over and pray because they really felt like it was a, there was a, a very upfront spiritual battle happening in the life of this girl. And I remember, this is about the only thing I remember of it, was the senior pastor, as, as the pastor and I came to the house, he made this statement. He says, we're not going to talk to Satan because we're not giving him any of the attention. And we spent the time worshiping and inviting God and Jesus to come in and be a part of that situation and to love that girl like he only, only he could love that girl. And just beginning to pray and to worship and to invite Jesus into, into that, that situation, into that moment, into that time it was so, so very, very good. We have an enemy. And he's at work. And we see the brokenness that he brings. But I hesitate to spend too much time thinking and giving him too much credibility. He's real. And he's powerful. But the one that lives in us is more powerful. And I love that as we work through this. The next thing that we see is the, how ineffective society was at remedying the fallout of evil. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says that this man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. That he had been chained hand and foot. He had, he had torn the chains apart, broken the irons. No one was strong enough to subdue him. But they had pushed him into... He had, they had pushed him away from society. Townspeople had tried chaining him. They had secluded him. And even today, with all of our scientific advances, the best that we can do is treat the symptoms of the evil. We can isolate. We can incarcerate those who pose a danger to, uh, to others. And we, we can medicate and placate and distract with entertainment. Those of us who struggle with a dysfunction, but society can't provide a cure for the root of our trouble. It's our enemy and our nature. But thankfully, in this story, there's not just the force of Satan and, and evil, and there's not just the remedy that comes from a society, but thankfully, the, the Savior shows up on the shore. Uh, that's the best part of this story, isn't it? And he shows up. He's come through the storm, and he pulls up on the shore. And before we get to the result of Jesus' intervention, I want you to notice how the demons respond to Jesus. The book of Mark, as you look at so many of these stories, Mark continues to bring to the forefront Jesus' authority and how people respond to Jesus' authority. It comes up over and over and over and over. And here we see it as well. Look in verse 6. It says, when, when he, the, the man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Because Jesus had said to him, come out of that man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him 
out of the area. Other translations of that say not to send him into the abyss, the place of um, their everlasting punishment. I want you to notice, because if this man was controlled by these spirits, and I want you to consider that, use that as the lens that you look at these verses through, that, that really then it was, the, it was the, the spirits inside of him that moved him to do his action. Look at these things. Now what they did, they bowed down to Jesus. Do you notice that? They bowed down to Jesus, recognizing Jesus' authority. Immediately, before Jesus had said anything, he's off the boat and they come to him and they bow down in, in front of him, showing his authority. They use his title. They know who he is and they know his position. And they beg him over and over and over again because they recognize his power as well. Thomas Constable, one of the um, guys that I enjoy reading and his commentaries, and he wrote this. He said, the tormentor appealed for deliverance from the tormented, or from, let me try it again. The tormentor appealed for deliverance from torment. Here are these spirits who had been having their way with this man, just wrecked his life. And yet when they come face to face with one of a higher authority, one with greater power, then immediately they change their tune and begin begging for mercy. Now, I admit that when I read that, I, I, I had to laugh just a little bit because we've, our 14-year-old son, Colton, um, loves to just bug me and bug me and bug me and bait me and, and try to uh, get me to respond with a wrestling match. And so finally, when I give in, like, dude, you don't want to mess with this. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you've met Colton, he doesn't stand a chance. So when I give in and I engage in the wrestling match, he immediately starts asking for mercy. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, 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 no. Ouch, that hurts, you know, whatever, you know, what I'm saying, like, no, no, take it easy on me. I'm like, dude, you've been asking for this for 30 minutes, no. And as soon as I back off, he's right back at it. He likes to call me old man. <clears throat> Nobody else in my house does that. It's, it's, it's good. It moves me to action. You know what I'm saying? But that's, but that's, so that's the picture that came to mind when I read this, when I read this section. Here's the, here are these, these spirits that are just having their way with this man. And yet when they come, when they come face to face with an authority that they know they can't beat, they immediately start asking for mercy. They immediately start asking for mercy. And so Jesus grants them permission to go into this herd of pigs and it drives them crazy. They run down the hill. They drown themselves in the sea. And there's some debate about why Jesus would cast the pigs into the demons or the demons into the pigs because we have lots of other accounts of him removing spirits without having to send them someplace else. But one commentator suggested that it demonstrates to the witnesses that were there just how many spirits there were and demonstrated to the man who was relieved those things are gone. They're not coming back. There's also some yeah No matter what the reason is, the result of Jesus' work is clear that now this man who in one moment was the host of a legion of demons is immediately found to be in his right mind, sitting calmly, able to get dressed 
and able to understand what's happening. And look in verse 16. Those who had seen it, the events of the morning or the day, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. So now, these are the people that were in charge of the pigs. This was somebody's livelihood. Now all the pigs are floating in the sea. They definitely wanted to make sure that they understood we didn't do that. He did that. <laughs> right? They wanted to make sure that it was clear. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. They were scared. But maybe also they didn't like him wrecking their economy. What they couldn't really see was the effect that Jesus had had on this man. Seems like they've overlooked that. In verse 18, when Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Alan Cole said this, there's a striking and deliberate contrast between the attitude of the inhabitants of the Gerasa and the attitude in the healed demoniac. For the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go and he granted their request. But the healed man begged to stay in the company of Jesus, but his request was refused. And I think it's a really interesting thing to pause and to consider why that is. I mean, wasn't Jesus interested in more followers? Wasn't that kind of what he was after? Well, you read some of the accounts through the Gospels. I don't think a large number of followers was what Jesus was really hoping for when he woke up in the morning, but people with faith. Here's a man who wanted to follow him, and yet, and yet, I think that there were two reasons that Jesus said no. I think first this man had an incredible testimony to share with other people. Now, could he have shared it as he traveled with Jesus? Yeah. But there's no evidence that Jesus ever came back to this area. There's no evidence that Jesus ever came back to do ministry on this side of the sea in this area of the Decapolis again. And so here's a man who has a testimony to be able to give um, God glory and Jesus the credit for a healing. He has an incredible story to tell. And secondly, I think he needed a new purpose for his life. How long had he, has his identity been wrapped up in his experience among the tombs, running around naked, being uncontrollable. And so I think, I think there were these two reasons for Jesus saying no. I remember, uh, I don't know why, it's a funny thing what happens as you kind of spin on a section of scripture and you're getting ready to share. But this, this memory came to my mind. I remember this girl in high school that used to wear a t-shirt that said, of all the things that I've lost, I miss my mind the most. I don't, maybe you guys have seen that. She was odd, but that's okay. Uh, but but it, it was great. She had the, uh, the other shirt that she wore was, um, left-handed people are the only ones in their right minds. So that gives you, like, I don't know who picked her wardrobe, but there it is. But the point is that this man, that this man's mind had been restored, but his family relationships, his family and his relationships and his reputation might have taken more time to fix. So perhaps Jesus is showing compassion to this man in another way. Perhaps, you know, uh, by sending him with a new mission in life, he has the opportunity to say, hey, my identity has shifted I'm one who's saved. I'm one who's been healed. I have good news about a Savior that does amazing things. 
And so Jesus sends him off. I always try when I'm preparing a message to think of the so what from the text. And I've been, as I've been spending time with this story, I'm trying to think about the so what. So what do we do with it? James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So what's the do out of this? What do we learn? What do we take with us? How do we allow this to change us? And I think the so what is all of our problems ultimately stem from Satan's influence in the world, either in the form of direct attack or the result of the fall in our sin nature. And no matter how sincere society doesn't hold an answer to the problem, but our deepest need is for a savior. Our deepest need is for a savior. John 3:16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of, the, of God's one and only Son. In John 8, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who, uh, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Our deepest and our greatest need is for a Savior. And so we, like the man, have been set free from our prison. We've been set free from what binds us up. And we have a story to tell. And our Decapolis might be the cul-de-sac of our neighborhood. It might be uh, the next stop on our sales uh, tour. It might be um, the water cooler in the office. That may be our Decapolis. Shoot, it might be our living room or our kitchen. But if we've been rescued by the Savior, we have a story to tell. And God's giving us a place to be able to tell it. It's our mission and it's our purpose to be his witnesses. But for some of you, you may still be on the shore. And understand that Jesus has crossed through the storm of death in order to meet you right where you are. Maybe you're tormented and confused and distressed and overwhelmed and you're feeling isolated. Jesus has come to you. And today is the day that you can bow your knee, that you can recognize not only his authority, but his ability and his willingness. To bring freedom. To bring a new life to you today. Doesn't mean that all of your, all the parts of your life will just instantly be great. I don't think they were for this man either. But you're set free. and indwelled with the power of God's Spirit, and you never walk by yourself again. So no matter where you are today, whether you've been set free and you have a story to tell, your action today is to discover your Decapolis and begin to tell your story. And if you're on the shore and you're waiting for the Savior, know that he's arrived. And he's willing. And the question is, will you come? And you, will you receive what he has for you?
recognizing his authority, declaring your need, and receiving a brand new life. Let me pray for you as you have things to consider and things to work and move on. God, I pray for these folks here today and I pray for me. Father, as you begin or as you continue to work in our hearts, Father, as we look at this uh, piece of scripture and we consider why would you include it in the record of your ministry. And Father, I pray that you would give boldness you would give us a boldness and give us a courage and give us the words to be able to say as you put people in front of us that need to hear our story of deliverance. But Father, there are some here today, God, there are some here today you've been pursuing and you've been seeking that you've crossed over and you're meeting them now right where they are. Father, there are people today that just need to say yes to you. Father, would you give them a courage? to recognize your authority and your willingness and your ability to rescue them. God, we love you. And we worship you with our lives. Amen.
Thanks for being here with us this morning. We hope to see you guys around next week. <laughs>